1: This episode of the Cersei Institute Podcast Network is brought to you by our friends over at the Institute for Excellence in Writing. IEW provides teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become better
0: listeners, speakers, readers, writers, and thinkers. To learn more about IEW and their 100% lifetime money-back guarantee, visit IEW.com slash start.
1: That's IEW.com slash start. Hi, and welcome to yet another Ask Andrew podcast. Can you believe how many of these there are? Well, I hope you're enjoying them as much as I am because I'm glad you're here and I'm having a lot of fun with them. I'm in a good mood today because because I had what I call a Felix Concordia. What you say is a Felix Concordia. Well, that's just Latin for happy coincidence, but I like the sound of it. In fact, I might change my name to Felix Concordia. Anyway, I had a a Felix Concordia because I was given this wonderful question that I've been thinking a lot about lately, and the question goes like this. We hear a lot about the the trivium. Can you talk about the quadrivium and especially science and geometry? And that tied in with another question that went like this. Why is astronomy so important? Well, those two questions were a happy coincidence, a Felix Concordia, but the real Felix Concordia is that those questions arose on the day when I read these verses in the Bible. In Romans 8:22 it says, "We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now." Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves, we also who have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, you're saying, what on Earth are you trying to claim that has to do with the quadrivium, especially science and geometry or astronomy? Well, the question that was asked, the second question was, why is astronomy so important? And the way I want to speak to the quadrivium and especially its relation, uh, um, and specifically science and geometry, is that. Now you'll remember from my earlier podcast that the quadrivium represents four ways or paths to wisdom, and and they are four liberating arts. And those liberating arts are arithmetic, geometry, music, or harmonia, and astronomy. And my contention has been all all through these podcasts that that. Each of the arts of the quadrivium, in fact, all of the liberating arts, have to do with two gifts that God gives us, two faculties, the faculty of truth perception and the faculty of harmonizing. And those two things are intimately connected because truth is in harmony. That's one of the ways we know truth is that it stays in harmony. Or at least that's one of the ways we know falsehood is that it contradicts something else that is true. So when I think about astronomy and I think about the art of astronomy and perceptions of reality and harmony, what comes to my mind is the way we teach math today and also an ancient story, two ancient stories in fact, having to do with Felix Concordiae, Felix Concordia. Concordiae. So here, here's something I want to uh, also re- tell you and read to you for context. All right, now we're talking about Felix Concordia, we're talking about astronomy, and we're talking about Romans 8. And at this point, I worry that this also is going to go way too long, but I have to risk it. I'm going to do my best. In 585 BC or so, there was a Greek named Thales who predicted an eclipse. Big deal, you say. Yeah, it was a big deal. So far as we know, he was the first person to mathematically predict an eclipse and just be content with that. Now, if he'd been Egyptian, he probably would have proclaimed that since he could predict the eclipse, he was greater than the gods, because that, after all, is how the pharaohs got and held their power, was by being more powerful than the pagan gods of the Nile and all that sort of thing. In other words... Thales of Miletus, when he predicted the eclipse, did not claim to have divine power in doing so. He just knew math. And that gives birth to the Greek conception of control over one's own fate, that you are not bound by the movements of the stars and that the stars are not gods in conflict. Neither are the sun and moon. They're just there. Now, not a long time later, about 170 years later, there's another eclipse. And this one is read about written about by Plutarch in his lives, in particular the life of Nicias. And I'm going to try I'm going to try to well, I'm going to read to you a very very fascinating passage in Plutarch, kind of long, but anyway, they decided they had to retreat from the island of Syracuse. Nicias who is the camp commander of the Greek armies, is on the island of of Sicily, the city of Syracuse, and they decide that they have to retreat. And if they don't, they're going to have a terrible disaster. Everything's ready. The situation is right for retreat. And it says in Plutarch, when all were in readiness and none of the enemy had observed them, not expecting such a thing, The moon was eclipsed in the night. And listen to this next phrase. To the great fright of Nicias and others, who for want of experience or out of superstition felt alarm at such appearances. That's an amazing clause or a couple clauses there. Who for want of experience or out of, notice that, superstition felt alarm at such appearances. And Plutarch then goes on to talk about the sun being eclipsed, but it's different when the moon is. And they concluded it, he says, to be ominous and a divine intimation of some heavy calamities. Anaxagoras, he tells us, had begun to describe this sort of thing, this lunar eclipse. But he was as yet but recent, nor was his argument much known But was rather kept secret, passing only amongst a few, under some kind of caution and confidence. Now that's Anaxagoras, not Thales of Miletus. Now, the popular attitude then becomes an issue to Plutarch. How did people, how did the popular the people respond to people who were trying to predict eclipses? Well, here's what here's what Plutarch tells us. People would then not tolerate natural philosophers and theorists, as they then called them, about things above. So you could be a natural philosopher about things on the earth. You could study the earth closely. But the people would not tolerate that about things above. Why? As lessening the divine power. In other words, by explaining away its agency into the operation of irrational causes and senseless forces acting by necessity without anything of providence or a free agent. Now, that's a complex load of ideas that the people had internalized. But what they're saying basically is you need providence acting freely to explain irrational causes and senseless forces. But these natural philosophers were coming along explaining all that away. Now, look, the, the long and the short of it is that because Nicias panics, the Athenians are wiped out and the empire comes to an end. You could say that the Athenian or the Greek miracle begins with Thales of Miletus and ends with Nicias. It begins with one eclipse and ends with another. And I think you probably noticed that both of those are astronomical things. And what I'm contending to you is that the world historical significance of astronomy is immeasurable. That because because they could predict an eclipse using math, the Greeks were set free. Yes, I just said that. And because they went back to superstition, the Greeks, the Athenians, their empire came to an end. Now, I would call that practical, but that's not where it starts. There are two... Mistakes, two hasty conclusions that people draw when they come across a Felix Concordia. And the world is full of Felix Concordiae. When you come across a happy coincidence, let me give you another astronomical happy coincidence. When you look into the sky, usually, with variation, the moon and the sun are basically the same size. right? To us, when we look in the sky, the moon and the sun are basically the same size. Why is that? They're not the same size. We know from measurement, we know from the force that they're not the same size. We know that the sun is vast and the moon is smaller than the earth. So why do they look the same size? That's a Felix Concordia. That's a happy coincidence. Well, what causes it to be a happy coincidence? There are two short circuits you can take to that answer. On the one hand, you can say, we got lucky. That's the modern science view of the Felix Concordia. Randomness, luck, chance. How did mankind evolve? We got lucky. How did the earth get this distance from the sun? We got lucky. Now, of course, that's not the way they describe it. They bury their luck in what they call natural laws or scientific laws. But basically, the answer is we got lucky. We live in a random, in fact, they don't even say cosmos anymore. A while back, they shifted the cosmos to a universe, and then the universe has become a chaos, and now we're increasingly influenced by chaos theory. Well, when you see an eclipse while you're trying to flee from Syracuse, if you are into randomness, you'll just probably ignore it and freak, and maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe you'll even watch it. It might be inconvenient, but there's no meaning to it. Well, there's another shortcut you can take. The other shortcut, instead of luck or Hap, is superstition. And that's what Nicias fell into. Superstition is absolutely destructive. Superstition is when you immediately short-circuit the discussion and say, this happened because the gods caused it and are trying to tell us something. Now, what you might have just heard me say which I did not say, is that if you look for a divine explanation for things, you're falling into superstition. No, what I'm saying is if you take a shortcut, you're falling into superstition. And yes, Christians do this. Every religion is full of the temptation towards superstition. We are very quick to say, God told me that. Okay, What do we do with the Felix Concordia? I think the answer is in Romans 8. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the redemption of our body. Waiting. When you see that the sun and moon are the same size, you don't conclude that two gods are equal. You don't conclude that it's random. You wait. Why? Because we were saved in hope. So the first thing is we wait. And the second thing is, we hope. Well, why do we hope? We don't hope because we've seen the answer. We hope precisely because we haven't seen the answer. If we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So not only do we wait with hope, but we persevere. And then I love this. Likewise, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Okay. Now don't hear me say things I'm not saying here but I'm going to I'm going to propose to you an analogy. The most important thing you learn from math is not how to solve problems. That's what math is, right? Solving problems? Well, no, it's not actually. It's resolving discords. But, having said that, the most important thing that astronomy teaches is patience. Yeah, I said that. It teaches patience. Consider this. Miletus 585 BC, you and me, 2018 AD. We still don't know so many things about the cosmos we live in. So what do we do, give up? Giving up is superstition. Superstition is giving up. Randomness and chance is giving up. No, we hope, we persevere. And when we do a particular math assignment, we practice waiting, hoping, and persevering. And the role of the teacher is the role of the spirit who helps in our weaknesses. See, the spirit has already seen it. He knows the deep things of God. In the same sense, in an analogous sense, I should say, the teacher, he knows where we're going. He teaches you to persevere and helps in weakness. And so, the happy coincidence of all these things coming together for me is that I want to celebrate the role of the teacher as the one who helps the student in math to wait, hope, and persevere eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for what we do not see. And that's what math teaches more than anything, and astronomy above all the others. Wish I had more time. You don't, but I wish I had more time, so I'll just end with this. The way we teach math, and I think astronomy really forces us out of this, if it's taught properly as an art, not a science. But the way we teach math in our culture was summarized for me by two different people recently. My daughter, Larissa, described how as a child for her, she mainly learned processes and memorized terms. What she didn't learn was the perception of harmony. She did not learn that by doing things a certain way, you can resolve discords. She was just taught processes, isolated individual processes, and memorized concepts. Now, that might not have been what the teacher meant to teach, but that's what she learned. Another way I heard it put was by Brian, Dr. Brian Phillips, is that when you're a kid, you learn the order of operations over perceptions of reality. Think of that. Orders of operations over perceptions of reality. The reason we teach math that way is because we don't believe Right. We don't believe that the world makes sense. We don't believe that math helps explain it. We don't believe that the structure of the cosmos is orderly. We don't believe in the beauty of of the Fibonacci sequence flowing through ear canals and snails and, and the golden ratio being part of this beautiful cosmos we live in that is moving like a cork, corkscrew through space. Um, we don't believe in the happy coincidences of the the female reproductive system combined with the cosmos. We don't, We don't. well, we might believe in that if we saw it, but we don't care about it. We don't believe in harmony, so we don't teach it. Astronomy sensitizes the child's soul to infinite harmonies, to happy coincidences, and then gives that child the courage to wait for the full revelation, the full revelation when the creation itself will be given birth to. We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Well, what's it waiting for? The creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I'm not going to pretend I can exhaust that concept or even say very much about it at all, but I will say this. Astronomy hints at that. Astronomy taught as a liberating art as opposed to either physics or processes. All of math points to that, and what it teaches the child to do is wait, hope, and persevere with the help of the teacher who stands in the place of the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. That's why we teach astronomy. That's why we teach the trivium. That's why we teach the quadrivium. Because all things work together for good. All things work together for good. That's something you practice gazing on and reflecting on in math. Thank you. And may the Lord remember you in the harmony of his kingdom, now and ever into the ages of ages. Amen.
0: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.